Zeus Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Welcome to another episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? Good. It's it, it's a shame we really have nothing to talk about. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's a shame that, you know, 2020 has been full of just, you know, status quo and just go with the flow and, you know, just, you know, not not even go with the flow, but... You know, it, it, it's just there's been no ebbs and flows is what I meant. And just, uh, of course, none of that is true. Uh, Missouri did lose to Tennessee 35 to 12. Uh, I was in Knoxville for the game. We'll get into that. Of course, more so what I'm mentioning now is that Missouri was supposed to be playing in Baton Rouge this weekend against LSU. Thanks to Hurricane Delta, that game is now in Columbia. So we had to cancel any travel going to Louisiana and everybody's coming up here. 11 a.m. kickoff on a network to be determined, but it looks like it's going to be ESPN2 due to Louisiana Lafayette and Coastal Carolina canceling or postponing earlier today. Uh, and now Missouri gets six home games technically and four road games this year. Man, just what a year and what everything is going on. Just kind of walk me through just just your outside experience to everything that's kind of happened over the last 48 hours, Langston. I mean, I kind of probably was it Wednesday afternoon. I sent you a string of tweets uh, just talking about that there was not Wednesday afternoon, maybe it was Tuesday. Today's Wednesday, so yeah, <laughs> that that kind of describes how the week's gone. But uh, yeah, Tuesday afternoon, yeah, I sent you a, a tweet uh, yeah, with uh, just discussions on how it was a potential for the LSU game, uh, the, the ability for that to be moved due to, due to Hurricane Delta, and it seems like everything has been moving pretty quickly since then. And you know, we talked earlier in the year about this was going to be a huge, you know, three week stretch for Coach Drinkowitz and the start of his regime here at Missouri. And it's been anything but planned um, outside of maybe the, the loss to Alabama uh, in week one. The team looked, you know, disciplined to a certain uh, aspect in that game or in that loss. But the kind of blowout loss to Tennessee and then now everything that's transpired this week uh, with the eventual movement of the LSU game to Faroe Field, it's just kind of been crazy. It's been utter badness. Uh, over the first three weeks. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy just think about just how much is different. I mean, you know, when the schedules kind of came out, a lot of people thought, like, okay, they're going to try and schedule LSU at Mizzou because LSU's never been here, and then they, and then they did the opposite, scheduled that game in Baton Rouge, and now I guess just the football world kind of making that game happen. Uh, you know, obviously it's definitely the right choice to move the game up here. You know, you don't want to mess with a hurricane and just, you know, and, and part of the reason we got the – Reason, the reasoning for them moving the game from originally an 8 p.m. kickoff nine hours earlier to an 11 a.m. kickoff central time is so just in case there's no electricity or anything what's going on damage-wise because of Hurricane Delta going on, they can land and still be safe when they land back in Baton Rouge. So, you know, it, it just seems like everybody's more equipped to change on the fly right now just because of the pandemic. And, you know, what, what what's a little bit of a difference and it's not it's not jarring because this is this is not a new topic i mean hurricane harvey moved some games for lsu in the past uh there's i think in 2016 florida lsu switched from gainesville to baton rouge or one or the other this is not a new topic for people who play on the gulf coast 
I just think the the shock of it of like, wow, this is actually happening, doesn't go to as much of an effect just because like, what's one more change in 2020? Exactly, and it, it's not like Death Valley is gonna was gonna have a hundred thousand people for Saturday's game anyway, even though it was gonna be you know everyone talks about you know the the night game in Death Valley and Baton Rouge, but that wasn't gonna happen due to COVID nineteen restrictions anyway. So it's not really much of an an advantage for Mizzou other than you know having to travel down to Louisiana. It's not much of a disadvantage for the Tigers, excuse me, the LSU Tigers, um, uh, because they have to travel up to uh, Columbia, Missouri. It's Still, I don't think the change of venue really has that much outcome on the eventual game. Yeah, and and that's kind of evidenced by the Vegas Lions bet MGM held tight at twenty and a half, uh, despite the move this morning. Uh, I mean, I I, I kind of thought we'll get into our picks later, but I kind of thought that you know that I was going to take LSU to cover regardless of the game. Just thinking of just watching how that went on Saturday. I mean, yes, you can say that Tennessee overperformed and Missouri underperformed, but just there's just a, a the functioning of that offense just i mean just if you're coming in blind you'd say that tennessee is a much better team than alabama obviously that's not a statement anyone would make but just looking at how missouri just crumbled against tennessee but then figured it out by the end of the day against alabama just it just it, it doesn't connect and so when you look at going from tennessee to lsu and lsu is probably closer to the talent level of alabama than tennessee you know it just it, it, it just it just looks like this is just quite the start in the SEC here for Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, you know, it, we, we had Glenn Gilbo from the USA Today Network, LSU beat reporter, and actually a Mizzou grad on the show, and you'll hear my interview with him in a little while. But just going into going into week three, you know, what, how do you assess this Tiger team, Langston? You know, do, do you think that this team actually, uh, they're obviously deserving of an LSU record, but they're staring quite down, you know, one in six right now with, you know, Kentucky being the lone game that might flip. I mean, yes, they're saying next week Vanderbilt's a win, but I mean, is there is there an avoidable just can they avoid this slide that seems to be happening right in front of them? I don't know if they can uh, avoid the potential slide and how how the outlook for the season can drastically change after a potential win or a loss to LSU. But what I will say is just I didn't travel to the Tennessee game like you did, but just kind of watching that from my apartment. You know the defensive line struggles, and that's something that you, as long with our, along with our editor Kevin Grayler, kind of outlined in your stories this weekend. The defensive line struggles was were glaring um, this weekend against the Vols. You hold Alabama to 111 rushing yards and three rushing TDs in Week One, and then against Tennessee, 232 and four rushing TDs. And you know, just going through the stats here, we had two defensive linemen get a tackle for loss. They were both sacks. We had one from Trayton Jeffcoat. And then the other, just looking through this, I against, believe it's from against Tennessee or against Alabama. Against Tennessee. Against Tennessee, it would have been. It wasn't Utsi. It would have. Isaiah McGuire. It would have been Isaiah McGuire. And other than that, zero tackles for loss, and only one other QB hit in that entire game. And that was from Kobe Whiteside. Remember that. And so when you kind of watch the defense line and the way Tennessee really dominated on both sides um, in the trenches. It was it was something that you I couldn't stop thinking about watching that game and how does that really change in one week against an LSU team that is more talented than Tennessee? Yeah, I I, I don't know. Um, I mean, and and it's interesting to think about because it, I don't think this Missouri team is technically bad. I think they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time over and over and over again. You know, Trinquist had to install his offense over Zoom and just is facing some more traditional 
just okay uh, recognizable kind of patterns here with these teams that they're facing and i mean you know if we're talking this time next week about how you know missouri just needs this win against vanderbilt i wouldn't be surprised you know vanderbilt with how they performed against lsu last weekend looked awful looked absolutely awful and they looked pretty good against texas a&m to be honest holding them to 17 points and alabama blitz texas a&m so we'll see what happens from there but it, it just just i think that the how you put a pulse in the season is harder than it ever has been before because of not only covid but just the lack of just not the the lack of just how much we've seen from these teams thus far we've seen two games which which is a decent amount but usually we get a huge sense of the offense from camp and just a ton of other time that we haven't gotten this season yet and so i'm not surprised that uh, there's more unknowns right now than there ever has been before Exactly. And, you know, I want to make one thing clear. When fans look back at this three-week stretch, whether Missouri wins or loses against LSU, I'm going to kind of compare it to uh, the Houston Texans before they fired Bill O'Brien this week. You know, the Houston Texans started started out this year against Kansas City, the Baltimore Ravens, and the, and the Steelers. Those are three quality teams. And that's the same thing you can say about Missouri, even if they start 0-3. You start up against a ranked Alabama team, ranked Tennessee, and then a ranked LSU uh, program. And those are difficult wins. And those are difficult games to kind of look compare uh competitive and and especially when you have the talent gap that is there between you know a missouri and alabama and a missouri and lsu so it's not time to hit the panic button yet but we can kind of see the difficulties and the differences in this offseason for coach jinkowitz installing a new uh offensive system this summer i mean they're they're showing up in the first three games it's just that clear I don't, and I, and I know that you're not saying that Drinkwitz is going to be fired if they lose to Vanderbilt. I know, Absolutely I, I, not. I, I know that's not what you're saying. Um, and I do see kind of the, the similarities there. I mean, but Houston absolutely hit the panic button, and Missouri hit the panic button this time last year. Uh, so at the end of the day, I mean, yes, there are comparisons there, and I see exactly what Langston's trying to say. Um, you know, but Missouri's got to figure out a way that I guess Houston did. And I don't know how they played this past weekend. I was not paying attention. Whoever that fourth loss would have been. Um, I, I don't believe know. it's the Vikings. Well, and they stink so uh yeah so with that said let's get into our interview with glenn gilbo from the uh lafayette advertiser shreveport times and a couple other but just basically all of louisiana's uh El, you know gannett properties and uh we'll see his kind of thoughts it was interesting kind of his take on things because he's just been around uh much more experienced than langston or i in the journalism business so here's my interview with usa today network's glenn gilbo Sports Podcast this time is the LSU beat writer for the USA Today Network, Glenn Gilbo. How are you doing, Glenn? Good, good. How are you guys? <laughs> uh, we are doing well up here. Uh, prayers to everybody down there for your bracing for the storm. It's going to hit this weekend. Obviously, that's the hot button issue, but kind of just walk us through what the, I guess, the past 48, 72 hours have been like from someone living in the bayou. Well, um, I was surprised they moved the game so quick uh, on a on a Tuesday. You know, they've they've made these decisions, yay or nay, or as late as Thursday in the week. Uh, so good good for them for making that decision early. And and I was a little little surprised, but it really it really makes a lot of sense to uh, to get the team out of the way. You know, because it it not only you know lets them play a game in more safe surroundings it also frees up the emergency personnel and the police and firemen in the in the state of Louisiana to uh to help with more important things as as the hurricane comes ashore 
wherever that may be, and whenever that may be. So it it was all in all, it was uh, it it made a lot of sense. And and you know, with with the fans not able to attend in full, you know, it made it an easier decision too. How how do you think that? I mean, obviously we talked about Eli Drinkwitz and Ed on earlier today, and he said nothing really changes, you know, plans wise because of the switch. Do you really <laughs> do you buy that in a sense? I mean, at the end of the day, it goes. You move the kick up up nine hours, and you move it. I mean, almost eight hundred miles north. I mean, do, do, do you buy into that? <laughs> That's just coaches, you know how they act. Uh, you know they they got to have no distractions. They got to have blinders on. You know that's all that is. And and Coach O's big big saying is uh, block out the noise. In this case, you know it's block out the wind and the rain and the and the move to to Missouri. So he's just saying that. I mean he's going to try to make it as as similar as possible after the flight there and practicing in a different place and playing in a different place. And playing in a place for the first time in the history of the of the program, so it's not going to be anything uh, n- normal, you know, for the football team. But that that's just how uh, coaches are, and, and particularly Coach O. I guess just as kind of a getting back to the kind of normal topics here, just give us a wide range of this year's LSU team. Obviously, falling to Mississippi State in the opener, then absolutely just dismantling Vanderbilt, like I think a lot of people expected. How are things looking going into week three? Well, things look things look better, but you know, not only did they lose to Mississippi State and and give up a SEC record 623 yards at home, uh, then the next week Mississippi State lost to one of the worst programs in SEC history, really Arkansas, which had not won an SEC game in two years. So. And that happened right after LSU beat Vanderbilt, so it was kind of like uh, a reminder of just how poor they played the week before. But as far as what was on the field in, in Vanderbilt, uh, you know, the quarterback looked much better, Miles Brennan. He was he was much quicker getting the passes off. He wasn't sitting there watching. Uh, the defense obviously played better. They had Derek Stingley back. So, you know, they looked, they looked about like you thought they would look uh, – you know, in the first game as they played against Vanderbilt last week. And, um, you know, I, I think they'll continue to improve. Now that the game is in Columbia, what is it, three straight road games for LSU? And then it's four out of five, next five for Missouri with the one road, the lone road game being Florida. I think that's correct, that now the next game in Baton Rouge isn't scheduled for, what, two more weeks? Right. LSU will be on the road for three straight weeks uh, at at true road sites uh, for the first time since 1957. That's the last time they played three away because they were at Vanderbilt last week, at Missouri this week, then at number three, Florida, uh, on October 17th. Then they're back home on the 24th against South Carolina. So, yeah, three straight weeks on the road. but uh it it uh you know you know because of the schedule change but uh, but only one of those opponents uh you know ranked and and looking like a contender right now in Florida I know we're kind of jumping around here a little bit but I think that people need to know I mean uh you're you're a Missouri journalism grad I'm the one who lives in Columbia but I didn't go to Mizzou 
kind of walk us through your experience as a journalist kind of dating back to college and some of your experiences jumping around in the SSA. Sure, sure. That's why, I mean, I, I was kind of happy to uh, – I'm, I'm actually going to the game. I got that cleared uh, yesterday and today, and I had been writing uh, when they were still figuring out the new schedule because of COVID that, that they ought to have some of the rare SEC games, like Georgia's – I don't think they ever played at A&M. I, I wanted to see that game. LSU has never played at Missouri, which is amazing since Missouri's been in the league since 2012. So that's that's quite a treat to, that that they are playing up there, and I'm excited about it. I was at Missouri in uh, 1981 through 83. Uh, Warren Powers was the coach. They were they were pretty good in football at the time. Uh, I saw him beat Oklahoma and Barry Switzer at Perot Field. Uh, there were some great games. They played Penn State in a home game, national TV on a Saturday. They they played well, but they lost that game. And, of course, uh, the basketball team was great at that time with Steve Stepanovich, John Sunbold. Uh, but it was uh, – I mean, I, I loved it at Missouri. It, it, it's just a great campus, uh, you know, the Heidelberg right across the street from the journalism school. And it's one of the – there's not a lot of colleges like Missouri in that the downtown area of Columbia is mixes with the campus, you know, whereas like LSU is downtown way over here and then – the campus is way over here, and that's how it is at a lot of your big state schools. But Missouri has a, definitely a unique campus flavor. And then uh, going away from uh, college, uh, how long have you been on the LSU beat, and what are some experiences with that? Well, I've really been on the LSU beat most of my uh, career. I had uh, several years in Alabama at the Montgomery paper and the Mobile paper covering Alabama and Auburn, but for the most part, I've been in Louisiana covering LSU more than uh, 25 years, not altogether. But um, I have been uh, covering LSU since 1998, uh, uh, since um, coming to the Baton Rouge Advocate and then going to Gannett in, in 2004. So, you know, I've covered most of the big things that have happened at, at LSU, the Nick Saban era. Uh, Les Miles, the baseball national championships. So it's it's been quite a ride. So how how does you know even going back to last year a little bit? How does last year's LSU team kind of compare uh, to any you've covered? Is it the best team ever? And then is it fair to say that going from 19 to 20 in LSU that maybe no college football team ever has lost more in the history of college football season to season? <laughs> uh, you know that that. That might be true. Um, that the uh, you know the 2007 LSU national championship team they lost a lot of players going into 2008, and they actually 2008 they struggled. They were eight and five and three and five in the league. That's really one of the worst teams in college football history after a national championship. I think this LSU team I think is better than that, and they return better players. I mean, they still got quite a few players they're returning, you know, like Derek Stingley and Terrace Marshall Jr., wide receiver. Um, and uh, they're actually better on the defensive line this year than than last year. Um, you know, th- this is not a national championship team, but, I mean, they're, they were close to it, I-, I felt, going into the season. You know, the number five preseason ranking was about right. I think they can still – get through this season maybe with only 
two loss, maybe only one more loss. You know, Alabama looks pretty good, but um, you know, and they, they've had they've had losses before where they put a lot of guys into the draft. You know, they've had a, they've probably had more juniors. Uh, you know, leave for the draft than any other school them in Alabama. So it's not that new that they lost uh, so many players. You know, the big loss obviously was was Joe Burrow and the pass game coordinator Joe Brady. Uh, so, you know, if Joe Burrow would have returned, they'd probably be a national championship team again. Brendan looks okay, uh, but I, but this is still a very talented, fast, big team. Gotcha. I believe Joe Brady is now the offensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers, if I'm correct. Under yes, the sir. Uh, right, right. Just, I guess going back to kind of the whole tropical storm thing, it, it, do you think that someone like an Ed Orgeron, and maybe that's why he was nonchalant about it, is more conditioned to be like, okay, watching for the tropical storms in October, where you can, you know, you're, you're in a landlocked state like Missouri that borders eight other states, as opposed to you're right on the Gulf of Mexico, almost a Baton Rouge. Do you think that he's almost more conditioned for that kind of thing? Oh yeah, and he grew up on the coast of Louisiana, you know, uh, in in Lafourche, Paris, which is right on uh, Bayou Lafourche and right on the Gulf of Mexico. So he's been doing this his whole life, and he's my age. When when he was a kid, he went through Hurricane Camille in 1969, which was supposed to hit New Orleans and come up the Bayou, but it veered right at the last minute and hit Mississippi. But, you know, everybody remembers that of his age. And then, of course, uh, he was not in Louisiana when Katrina hit, but his mother was and his his family. Um, And, you know, there's been several LSU games that have been moved around uh, since he's been coaching. You know, there's a hurricane that hit Houston Harvey in Uh 2018 that moved the LSU-BYU game from Houston to – the Superdome in New Orleans, and uh, you know, so it, it's really it's really common for this part of the country, and and Ed the Louisianian, so it, it is, uh, you know, it, it's pretty much normal for uh, for him. Kind of now, just looking at the matchup directly, do you have a sense? I mean, the, the line didn't move really at all with the announcement. I think it was twenty and a half, and it stayed put at twenty and a half with the announcement that the game was shifting from Baton Rouge to Columbia. Uh, would you take the spread of twenty and a half, or how are you kind of predicting this one to unfold on Saturday? Yeah, well, I'm sure the point spread didn't change because I, I, Missouri's like everybody else in the SEC, right? That only twenty five percent of capacity. Is that correct? Yep. Well, Missouri's yeah. actually close to twenty. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's probably why that that didn't change. Um, um, I think LSU, if, if they don't. If they do cover the spread, it's not going to be by much. I mean, I can't see them winning by much more than 21 points. And um, I would I would think it'll probably be more like 17 points or something like that um, just because, you know, I think Missouri is, is, is much better than Vanderbilt. And I think Missouri – you know they they were they got behind early in both of their games, uh, but I thought by the end of the game, you know they they looked like they could play with Tennessee. They just got off to a bad start. You know they've had some quarterback, uh, you know twenty two quarterbacks. Um, I, I think uh, they can stay closer to LSU than three touchdowns. If there's a route to victory for Missouri in this game, where is it? And it's okay if you say no, but. You know, obviously, when we had uh, an Alabama writer on two weeks ago, it was like, "Yeah, it's not happening." But 
Do you see any route to victory for Missouri should and should there be one, and where is it? I wouldn't see that uh, LSU could lose this game. And, and you know, I, I thought LSU had a chance to lose the Mississippi State game. I mean, I, I, I picked Mississippi State to lose that game by a touchdown because I really like their senior quarterback, and I really like Mike Leach. And, uh, you know, L- LSU's been a little sloppy. Uh, you know, they're coming off this national championship. They, um, you know, some of the players on their team – don't realize what it takes to, to be that good. I think they expected it just to happen. So they could LSU could play sloppy and, and beat Missouri by only 10 or 14 points. I think that could happen. Um, and you have a young quarterback. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't see a scenario where Missouri would actually win the game. Fair enough, fair enough. Just, just from your... I guess you've kind of been watching Missouri football from afar for a little while here as a graduate, and you've covered the conference where Missouri has only been since 2012, but you've always kind of been connected. Uh, What are your overall thoughts just on the progression of Missouri football as a whole? I mean, do you think that, you know, they get a bad rap kind of in the SEC because, you know, they're kind of just a new ad? Or how do you kind of, as someone who's been here but been been away for a while, uh, kind of just look at the program? Well, you know, when Missouri came into the league, I mean, they they were in two straight SEC championship games. I mean, they were they were a power just a few years before they came into the SEC in in, in 2007. Um, and you know, they just haven't followed up with the two coaches uh, that have followed uh, quite yet. I th- I think um, you know, I don't know if if them joining the SEC was was the right move. Um, I, I think, you know, maybe from a recruiting standpoint and maybe just from a competitive standpoint, they might have been, they would be better in the in the Big 12 or the Big 10 if, if that would have been possible. I mean, it certainly made them money. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough uh, tough league to, to get started in. You know, Texas A&M is, is more – Southeast related geographically and culturally, and, and they were already in the recruiting battles much more against SEC teams than Missouri was. And then Texas A&M has not uh, set the world on fire either. It's 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 a tough league to to get into, you know. And I mean, South Carolina and Arkansas have been in much longer, and they have had no impact uh, basically. So it's it's a tough league to get into. Out of, out of those uh, four, I would say Missouri's right there with A and M with with a chance to uh, to do something, you know. And and you might have the right coach now. You know, it's going to take him a take him a while, but it seems like he could be the right coach. Gotcha. And, and uh, that was Glenn Gilbo from the USA Today Network. He writes for I believe it's the Shreveport Times, Lafayette Advertiser. Uh, what are the other papers? If I'm leaving any any out, Louisiana's property. Alexandria Town Talk. Uh, Monroe News Star and uh, cover the Saints too, which is the Jackson Clarion Ledger and Nashville and Montgomery use the the Saints stuff, but it's it's basically Louisiana's Gannett papers. There's five of them. Gotcha, gotcha. Where can everybody find you online and kind of read the opponent's perspective for this week? Uh, LSU beat tweet on Twitter and uh, theadvertiser.com, usatoday.com, and of course on Facebook. All right, thank you so much, Glenn, for your time. Appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I guess you're making the drive up here as opposed to me making it uh, down to Baton Rouge. Uh, that'll have to happen another time. Uh, yeah, we'll see you on Saturday. All right, actually, I'm flying up. Can't wait. I'll see you on Friday.
would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast. University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. Obviously, the past 72 hours has been crazy down in the Gulf Coast, more so than it's been up here. We've just added a home game. They've just had a shift around their lives and everything. And growing growing up in Maryland, I mean, we didn't have to deal with hurricanes that often. You grew up in Florida. How was that? (laughs) Uh, So lived in the suburbs of the Tampa Bay area, not really hit by any hurricanes when I was there for the last three years of my high school career. (laughs) Why did I say career like I was an athlete? Uh, High school experience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, not something that I've really had to deal with either. And it's really interesting to just kind of hear that perspective on, you know, changing your life around over the last 72 hours. Before we go any further, the Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. There's the Columbia location of Zaxby's is on Stadium Drive, Stadium Boulevard, excuse me, and North 63. As well, follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. I stumbled through some of that, but you guys get the point. Um, also, we just played a little bit of Creedence Clearwater Revival, Born on the Bayou, even though I will not be down on the Bayou this weekend. Uh, so do you know Do you know Creedence? I know I know. you said you didn't know Steely Dan. Do you know Creedence Clearwater Revival, John Fogarty? Do you know, do you know them? You two for two on songs I have no idea both or mem- never heard of before. It, 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 both members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, interesting. Okay. Anyway, moving back into actual SEC football here. Uh, let's just get into this week's slate of games and go from there. Langston, why don't you take the lead this week and why don't you uh, state, state your picks first while I, uh, you know, obviously – where do you see Missouri, Missouri LSU going? We'll spend some time on that. Does Missouri cover that twenty-five? Sorry, twenty-point-five spread, and if so, how? Um, so yeah, you kind of mentioned earlier that the line stayed at twenty and a half despite it being moved to Faroe Field, and you also mentioned earlier that you were going to pick uh, LSU to cover regardless. And I'm going to stick with you there. I think LSU covers this game. I think that this is the third straight kind of blowout for the Tigers and I don't see them kind of overcoming the offense and defensive line play that could really kind of plague them against Tennessee then moving to you've got Florida minus six and a half at Texas A&M this weekend the Gators have been absolutely rolling the Kyle to Kyle connection between Kyle Trask and Kyle oh, blanking on his last name Trask Kyle Pitts and Kyle Pitts there we go um is 
absolutely something beautiful to watch. And I think Florida wins by multiple touchdowns, so they will cover in that game. Then we're moving to South Carolina at Vanderbilt. South Carolina and former Missouri head coach Barry Odom picking up a huge win over Mississippi State last weekend. I look for South Carolina to cover over Vanderbilt. You know, kind of we're going to hit on talk about this later, but LSU absolutely destroying Vanderbilt last week. It's a game where you really can't take that much away from it just because of the talent gap between LSU and Vanderbilt. And I kind of see that, that whether that gap is a little bit less between South Carolina and Vanderbilt, I expect Carolina to cover. Then you've got Arkansas at Auburn. Auburn is favored uh, minus 16 and a half in that game. And it's going to sound like I'm going chalk, but it's going to be the Tigers rolling over. <clears throat> excuse me. Tigers rolling over um, Arkansas on Saturday. If you want to pick up the rest of those. Sure. Did you just say Barry Owens, the defensive coordinator of South Carolina? Or did you mean Arkansas there? Arkansas, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're good. You're good. You're good. Yeah, I thought I heard that. Uh, going forward, yeah, LSU, I'm taking them regardless. Uh, I mean, just how Missouri looked. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if that's – especially because that's what Glenn picked. Glenn picked Missouri to cover but lose. Uh, but I'm going in the opposite direction with picking LSU there. Just Miles Brennan looked too good against – you know, and LSU's offensive line is even better than Tennessee. So uh, I'm going to go that way there because I, I think I've been wrong two times in a row. No, I got Alabama right, but I just 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 going against the spread here with Missouri for the first time this season. Florida at A&M going Florida. I think I actually did pick Vanderbilt here over uh, uh, the, the cover against SC. Um, just a weird wonky game between two teams who are probably the worst two in the East, in my opinion. Just I think this will be close in a, you know, not that pretty of a game. Auburn, I think that Arkansas does not have that in, in them two weeks in a row, regardless of Mississippi State. Uh, I, I am taking uh, Auburn there, Alabama against Ole Miss. I am taking Ole Miss to cover uh, at a plus 24, but I don't think they'll win or get within two touchdowns. I think that 14 to 24 range is where that game is going to end up. This is actually the toughest pick, I think, this week of Mississippi State at minus two at Kentucky, basically going head to head. I just, I think just the pendulum that is Mike Leach is just going to swing back in the opposite direction. I will take Mississippi State at winning by at least a field goal over Kentucky. Uh, and then Georgia against Tennessee. I think Tennessee overperformed regardless of how good they looked against Missouri, taking Georgia by at least two touchdowns there. The three non-con games this week of the Red River, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, actually, I think the top eight matchup, uh, Miami against Clemson. Clemson favored by two touchdowns. And then I put BYU on here because they were supposed to be on Missouri's schedule against UT San Antonio. Uh, I am taking... UT San Antonio, just that three to three and a half is too much. Clemson by more than two touchdowns, and then Oklahoma at home by winning by at least a field goal. They got to break this out of the stride somehow, and I think that against their rivals, what what better time to do it? Yeah, I completely agree with you earlier that Mississippi State at Kentucky is, was the hardest game to pick in this, and I'm going to have to go with the Wildcats covering there in that game, Tennessee at Georgia. It will be interesting to see what Tennessee looks like next week after a dominant performance over Missouri. I'm going to pick Tennessee plus 12 and a half in that game. Then Texas and Oklahoma talk about a a – you know, a lead up to the Red River rivalry that has absolutely just no interest for me just because these seem to be two of the most disappointing teams in the Big 12. Um, the, probably the most. And uh, I'm going to go with Oklahoma minus one and a half. This is going to be a weird game because these teams 
both of these teams need a win and in what is such a historic rivalry these teams are bad this year and it's just that it's just that simple about that miami at clemson i'm going to take clemson minus 14 and byu over utsa at 33 and a half do you know utsa's mascot off the top of your head i do not you take take a guess um some type of cowboy no um a cow no steer no they are the utsa roadrunners Interestingly enough, doesn't make me think of Texas, but all right. And their mascots, their mascots, a kind of a horse, even with the roadrunner. It's very Texas. Anyway, going on, uh, I, I, you know, and I, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on this podcast actually talking about the trip to Knoxville, evidenced by the, the switch from Missouri to, uh, and we'll get into the news about Connor Bazelak in a little while because that's obviously the big news we haven't talked about yet. But um, just evidenced by the game coming back here, we don't know how much we're going to get a chance to travel this year. So I kind of wanted to just take some time and just talk about why that's so important. And, you know, just leaving on Friday morning, going out towards Louisville and stopping there and passing the Yum Center on my right on the highway and all of that. And just the hometown of Muhammad Ali and all of that. And getting to stop in Lexington for some cookout and Friday night uh, getting to Knoxville. And it's it's odd. And I've, I've shared some of my story in here before, but it's odd. The city of Knoxville means a lot to me and has nothing to do with the University of Tennessee. Um, before I worked in Columbia, I worked in Odessa, Texas. And moving from maryland driving from maryland to texas i decided i could have made it in like two days but i decided to have fun with the drive and left from maryland drove to knoxville stayed there that night so my kind of my first i'd say venture leaving home ended in knoxville that night and that's why it means a lot to me the same restaurant i got that night sweet peas barbecue in knoxville i had again for the first time you've probably seen it if you watch the tv show man versus food that's the restaurant that where the challenge where adam richmond has to eat i think a four pound burrito with two pounds of sides he smashed it i didn't have that much food uh i i had just a regular there's smaller burrito there which was still a lot of food delicious saturday morning we go to the game it's my first time actually going on campus and they didn't feed us a press box meal uh at Tennessee, but we were allowed to bring in whatever food we want. And I found this little awesome little bagel shop, Peace and Breads and Bagels. It, it seems like that's kind of my niche on the Mizzou beat is whatever town we go to, I found the nicest bagel place there and just eat there. Uh, great bagels at Peace and then uh, Saturday night driving back through Nashville to kind of, it's actually closer. Uh, driving back through Nashville, I had some Hattie B's hot chicken. And I get the medium because it's perfect. The hot's too hot, but I got the medium. And then Saturday coming right back through after stopping at Proper Bagel, which is interesting. Proper Bagel, probably the best bagel I've ever had outside of uh, New York, but not that many of you care about that. But uh, across the street, because we're on Bel- they go to Belmont's campus for Proper Bagel. Uh, across the street is where they're still scheduled, depending the pr- health of our current president. But uh, all the signage is already up for the third president and final presidential debate, which is going to be on October 22nd. All the signage is up on Belmont's campus. So across the street from where I got these bagels is going to be the third presidential debate. I thought that was cool. And then I obviously came back here on Sunday. Are you a fan of hot chicken, Langston? I have not had any hot chicken, but to kind of pick up on the food talk here on the Missouri Sports Podcast, what are your thoughts on cookout? Because I had it for the first time about a month ago, and it seems to be very divisive between people in the Midwest and in the South. Okay, so I've had cookout twice before. Once when I visited a very good friend of mine in the state of South Carolina, and then I stopped in Lexington, Kentucky, and got to see where UK is, but I had been there before um, and had it again. Um, I am actually a fan of cookout. I uh, don't 
I'm not, I'm not trying to diss Five Guys, but I think Five Guys takes too long and is too expensive for the what you get. If you're gonna get a greasy cheeseburger that's not very good for you but tastes good going down, I'd rather spend less money and get a ton of stuff with it, like I did at Cookout. And I'm also not that big of a fan of In-N-Out, and I know that might hurt some people out there. I like Whataburger much, much, much more. But I didn't mind it. Was it the best fast food I've ever had? No. But but to have a burger within two minutes of ordering it with onion rings and hush puppies on the side for like five bucks, I'm okay with it. I had the complete opposite experience. I had it in August um, in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I kind of compare it to the Taco Bell of American food. It's cheap burgers, fries, and it's the same quality as Taco Bell. And I like Taco Bell. Bell, (laughs) There goes the dispute. I would rather have Zaxby's, great plug there, instead of Taco Bell. I think I'd rather have Taco Bell. Yeah, uh, I, I like I like I don't discriminate. I mean, outside of McDonald's, I really don't care for fast food. I actually don't eat that much fast food anymore. But I guess going I guess, but in Colombia though, going back to the burger talk, I would much rather have Booches, Billiards, uh, Mad Cow, uh, name as many burger Broadway Broadway Brewery, uh, the Burger Flat Branch. I'd rather have all of those, and I'm probably missing one off the top of my head. Freddy's, you're missing Freddy's. Freddy's? Yes, Freddy's with their cheese curds. Can't miss. <laughs> Absolutely can't miss. Freddy's over cookout, yes, over the local spots, no. Um, but going kind of now off of the food talk, and I, I we, we should have a Mizzou food podcast. We really should. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, going back, the biggest news coming kind of coming out of Drinkwitz's Tuesday press conference was that uh, Connor Bazelak is now QB number one. It was the only change on this week's depth chart from last week. Uh, still... You know, with how Connor Bazelak performed at the end of that game, Connor Bazelak had six drives taking over Sean Robinson at the beginning of the second quarter. He did not relinquish his spot. Five of those drives went over midfield, but they only got 12 points. So it was good, but not great. And so I think, and what Missouri's problem has been, and I think this is why LSU will also win by more than three touchdowns, they have started incredibly slow in both games. I think they've had nine points at halftime in the two games combined. LSU just could jumps on teams like that. Vanderbilt did not start well, and they lost by 34. Mississippi State started really well, and LSU never caught up. I just don't think Missouri has that firepower. But maybe we will, we will see more of it from the redshirt freshman and Connor Bazelak. What did you think of Missouri's offense kind of going between Robinson and Bazelak? You've said in the past that if you have multiple quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. Missouri names a first QB1 three weeks into the season. Yep, I'm happy you brought that up. I'm a firm believer if you have multiple quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. And so I was happy to see Coach Drinkowitz name a starter. I think through um, one one and one game and was two drives in the Tennessee game for Sean Robinson, it was kind of clear that the offense looked better under Bazelak. And outside of a one really bad interception in the Tennessee game, Bazelak moved the ball much better with the offense. And so I was you know, happy to see that Coach Drinkowitz, not not necessarily admitting a mistake, I think that's the wrong way to point it, uh, put it out there, but to say, hey, listen, I've observed how both my quarterbacks have played through two weeks. We have our starter. So for him to come out and say that and to name Bazelak the starter, it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to play and to see if Sean Robinson will get another chance and maybe a few drives. I know that uh, Coach Drinkwood said that um, Bazelak is the starter and that Robinson will be used on specific type of plays and things like that and won't have an entire you know drive like Bazelak had in the Alabama game. But it's interesting to see because Bazelak isn't perfect. 
Um, but he is the starting quarterback. And what I want to see from my perspective is Drinker would stick with one quarterback and give him an entire game to see what they can do and all the drives in that game. And we'll see if that happens against LSU on Saturday. Yeah, I, I didn't think that this would happen if we if you said at the end of the week uh last week we're gonna have a clear starter i thought it would have been sean robinson just dominating tennessee and leaving drink with no choice i couldn't have seen the connor bays like thing coming i think he's a great kid with a lot of potential just for Drinkwitz to kind of change and shift his focus here i think speaks to me about what we saw and how close decision originally was with connor going into week one more so than this it was a pro sean statement it was maybe that Sean kind of won the battle 55-45, not that it was incredibly clear. Um, and I think that maybe that's more so what we're seeing. And we'll only get to know that a little bit more as time goes on. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's obvious with that Missouri's most sustainable, consistent offense happened with Connor behind center. And with all the changes going on this year, Eli Drinkwitz could change his mind again next week. That wouldn't shock me. But uh, it's a step, I think, in the right direction for the program that they're finally getting to name a starter. Um, And just just from how disjointed this season is, to say that Sean Robinson's days here as the backup are are permanent, I think is a far-fetched thing to say because even looking at two specific examples of what happened, um, you know, just just gameplay-wise and all little things that we don't see. uh, For example, the play that kind of, made Connor wow everybody was a fourth and one pass to Logan Christopherson down the field. That was my key play article this week. In the article, and I mentioned it, that play should have never happened because Missouri uh, should have been flagged for legal formation on the play. It's incredibly obvious if you're watching the replay live. Ten people leave the huddle, eleven Missouri players are in on the play. That can't happen. Um, but, uh, and then also, Connor Bays, I kind of mentioned that you know, it was an LSU, sorry, now a Tennessee defensive back who was mimicking the hike of the snap and clapping a couple of times to try and get Mike Maietti to snap the ball, which is also a legal formation penalty that is not allowed and was not picked up by the refs. So the, these are just little things playing in a socially distant stadium. And with all the different changes going on, this college football season, and that's why I think that maybe Missouri fans have been more patient this year. It's just, I don't know how you can really rate when things go wrong what they attribute to this year because it's not that Drinkwitz is not allowed to have criticism and and he very much is you know there's some things that you know we can criticize him about but in terms of the long-term effects of this program he deserves more of more rope than anyone definitely and I agree with that and you know in an earlier pod and I believe it was last week I kind of talked about my disappointments with Barry Odom and so to say it lightly yeah the the worst thing that Missouri fans can do is kind of heap on all the pressure that was on Barry Odom at the end of his tenure here onto Drinkwitz three games through his tenure here um, it will be interesting to see what Bazelak can do against LSU because as you already stated Miles Brennan is going to put up points and so there isn't really a chance for Mizzou to kind of fill things out over the first couple of drives and pick a quarterback if, or if they're going to switch back to Sean Robinson if Bazelak struggles early. Like Mizzou has to score early and they have to come out to a better start that you already kind of talked about in the podcast. So it's interesting to see. And yeah, there are things to criticize about Coach Rinkowitz so far. The offense and defensive line play has been bad. It's just that simple when you look at the Tennessee game. It's been inadequate. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, but moving forward, uh, it, like I said earlier, it's three ranked opponents out of the gate for Drinkwitz in the start of his uh, era here at Missouri. There's only so much you can kind of take away from these games. Yeah, I agree with you there. We'll, you know, this is this is going to be a longer episode of the podcast, so I'll leave with this. Anything else you want to talk about, Langston? Any other food hot takes you want want me to discuss? Anything like that? Uh, what I will say is thank you for Columbia for continuing to wear your mask and to socially distance, and uh, hopefully that uh, fans will be able to enjoy the eleven o'clock game and and you know have another experience of Mizzou football here in Columbia that no one really expected us to have. All right, we'll end it with this. And we've talked about this in the past, but I don't think I've ever actually asked you this question, Lance. We've had our guests, and Glenn Gilbo's answer was the Heidelberg. But what is actually your favorite place to eat in Columbia? Took the words right out of my mouth. It's, it's the Heidelberg. Really? Uh, oh, 50, wow. 50 uh, percent off apps uh, at late night, and uh, their wings are the best in town. I don't think Disagree. that's necessarily close. No. Oh, um, oh, 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 we're getting to this. Discussion. Yeah, their okay. wings are by far the best in town. Uh, uh, dry rub, absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's where I would go when I was a student and still living on campus. Was definitely the Heidelberg. It is right across from the journalism. Uh, school, it, it really does mix there well, and Glenn made that point on the podcast. But man, that wings, uh, D Rose and CJ's got something to say to you. Well, and and actually, the place was on Food Network. That's uh, escaping me. There was on Restaurant Impossible. It's right off of Paris Road. I got McLanks. That's the name of it. Has really good wings too. Uh, Heidelberg is in the discussion, but it's definitely not number one in my book. Uh, D Rose and CJ's are, are fantastic. I, I don't want to sound like I'm slandering either of those establishments, but what I will say is just the memories and and like you pointed out, is right across the J School. I was at the J School a lot during my four years in Missouri. It was literally right there. I feel you there. Pick up some Marty's wings. It's yeah, it just has a special place in my heart. All right, for Langston Newsome, I've been Eric Baum. We'll get with the food hot takes later. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time.